You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. You can first turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I won't make you turn to all of them, but we'll turn to some of them here. Let's pray before I begin. Jesus, we thank you that you've come this morning. As a people, we have welcomed you here and we continue to say, be here among us. It's pointless for for us to gather if you are not here. This is your house. This is your service. Do what you want. Lord, help me to communicate your word effectively this morning. And may our hearts be open and tender to receive it. Gladly, in Jesus' name. We don't want to come and just have a nice little service and go on our way, but Father, we want to be transformed by the power of a living God who's made himself available to a people who would have him. So Lord, we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Many years ago, my dad told me, and I still haven't figured out quite why he felt that specific time to tell me this, but... Um, he said, Tony, just because you're experiencing the blessings of God and, um, on your life doesn't mean that God is pleased with their, every area of your life. Just because good things are happening doesn't mean that God is happy with everything that's going on in your heart and in your life. And how quickly we fall into this performance type mentality. When I'm a good boy and things are going well, God must be happy with me. When things are not going well, it's because I've been bad and God is not happy with me but rather we are children of God. And I, I, I don't want you to misinterpret what I'm saying today. This is not a message about your salvation. This is not a message about God's love for you. God's love for you will not change. Your salvation comes, Paul uh, and the scriptures say emphatically and clearly, it's undeniable. Salvation comes through grace, through faith, and not of works. It is a gift from God. So we just come. He's not looking to, for performers. The flesh loves to perform. The, lo- the flesh loves to check the boxes. But he's looking for yielded ones. What I'm speaking about this morning is there are benefits that come to walking with the Lord, but being part of the family of God, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's pleased with your life. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is what Paul is speaking about. He says in verse 1, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, and they drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. That is, the rock. That rock was Jesus. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So they all, that's the children of God. God made a covenant with his people and his love for Israel is undeniable through scripture. His love, his heart burned uh, with passion for his people and his heart burns with passion for you now. And they all experienced the blessing and the benefit of being part of God's family, God's people. Because how many of them, all of them were under the cloud. That was God's presence. They all experienced his presence. 
They all passed through the sea. They all experienced the deliverance that came from, for God's people. They all ate the same spiritual food and the same spiritual drink. They drank from Jesus, that spiritual rock. However, God was not pleased with them. They experienced and partook of the goodness of God because of God's faithfulness to his covenant. But he was not pleased with their lives. We can go back and read that story, the, the, the story, the Exodus story about the complaining, the division, the idolatry. God's heart for them never changed. And we can experience the blessings of being a part of God's family, but that doesn't mean he's, he's pleased with my life. You know, in my family, and our, and our, we have three kids, and I love my kids, and nothing, and I tell them often, nothing will change that. I'm going to love you no matter what. I can remember my dad bailing me out of jail when I was 19 years old and sitting in the car. I'm sitting in the car with him. I remember him looking over at me and saying, Tony, I love you, and I'm glad you're my son. And in that moment, I can tell you what those words meant to me. And I tell my kids the same. My love for you will not change. And they experience the benefits of being part of our house, of being a part of our family. Sometimes they forget um, whose house it is they're living in. But, <laughs> but they experience the benefits of that. But that doesn't mean that I'm pleased with everything that they do. Sometimes they fight with each other every once in a while. They fight with each other. Sometimes they do what I ask them to do with a poor attitude. Sometimes they do things that grieve me and makes me sad. My love for them doesn't change. And listen, this morning, I don't want to just be in the Jesus Club. I want to move his, I want to move his heart. I want him to be pleased with my life. I want heaven to stop. And to say, look at that little life down there. Look, look. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, he says, we, this is the prayer that he prays in Colossians 1. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Paul asked that they'd be filled with the knowledge of his will. Through what? Through wisdom and understanding. Wisdom is a spiritual, spiritual perspective, a heavenly perspective on earthly situations. That's, that's uh, godly wisdom. And understanding. Understanding is not a, just a mental ascent. It's a, the word in the Greek is understanding through experience, which is also goes hand in hand with wisdom. So often I have people sitting in my office, they say, I want to know what God's will for my life is. And God wants to show you what, your will, what his will for your life is. But even more, more than him showing you his, his will for your life, he wants you to know his ways. We want to know his will, and he wants to show us his ways. He wants to show us what he's like, who he is, what his heart beats for, what grieves his heart. We want to know what to do, and he wants us to know who we are in him. When we live a life that is Jesus-centered, a singular eye focused on this one, Jesus, we won't be tossed to and fro by the things of this world, by the things that people speak over our lives, by the difficulties that we face, 
because we are perfectly cared for within the arms of this one, Jesus. And so this is not a message on striving. He's not concerned with striving. He wants surrender. He wants your life. And our response to that is a life that is pleasing to him. A life that he marvels at, a life that he is amazed by. And so naturally the question is, what pleases him? What moves the heart of God? What does he marvel at? Listen, this is what separates the Christianity from all other religions of the world. All, all other religions of the world, you try to do all these things in hopes that it'll please God. In hopes that, that maybe it'll, on the, uh, the, the good will outweigh the bad at the end. But that's not our Lord. He, he, show, he shows us, plain as day, what he wants, what he's like, what pleases him, what displeases him. So how do we know what pleases Jesus? What moves his heart? What does he marvel at? I've got four things. It's not an exhaustive list as per usual. But the, the first is this. A pure heart. A pure heart. Matthew chapter 5 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In John 1, we read the story of Nathaniel coming to be one of Jesus' disciples. And Philip goes and finds Nathaniel and brings him to Jesus. And still while Nathaniel still a ways off, Jesus yells and says, here comes an Israelite in whom there is no guile or no deceit. Meaning here is an Israelite with a pure heart who longs to see the Lord. All throughout the Gospels, we see this dichotomy of the Pharisees who wanted to be seen as something in the eyes of man. And then those who are pure hearted and just long to see the Messiah, long to see the Savior. And those who came with a pure heart and pure motivations were, giving the, were given the gift of seeing Jesus as Messiah. But think about all those people that walked by, who lived in those days, that walked right by Jesus, the king of the world, the creator of the universe, walked right by him, paid no attention. Think of those who were distracted or too blinded by their own pride to see Jesus for who he really was. What a travesty. But he loves the pure-hearted. He loves the pure hearted that would come with, with him and, and, say, uh, and say, Lord, I just want you, just like we sang, I just want you, Jesus. Motives matter. In the, in the most famous sermon ever to be preached in Matthew chapter 5 and 6, the Sermon on the Mount, it's all about the, the matters of the heart, the motivations of the heart. If you want to turn to, to Matthew chapter 6, you can, otherwise it'll be on the screen. Jesus gives us in, instructions on, on giving on prayer, on fasting. In verse five, he says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. But truly I tell you, they received their reward in full but you, when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in the secret will, will reward you. The Lord gives us over to our affections. And what did the Pharisees love? 
They love the adulation of man. They love to be seen as something. And so that was the reward. Yay, good job, God, good job. You're so spiritual. That was it. They received it all. And what a poor, pitiable reward that is compared to what is available to us as children of God. But those who love his presence, those who just want to be with him, those who just want to go into the secret place and say, Lord, I'm here. Those he, re he rewards openly. And what does he reward them with? Himself. He gives us what we ask for. So when we say, Jesus, I just want you, he says, if that's what you want, that's what I'll give you. More of myself. What does your heart burn for? What do you love? Do you treat the Lord like Santa Claus? You just come for him for things. You know, the Lord is so gracious that even in those times, he still gives to us generously. But there's so much more for us. He wants us to be known by, by him and, and he wants us to know him. Not just as transactional relationship. I've heard it said, you might have heard this before, it says, the devil is more afraid of one person who learns to pray than 100 who learn how to preach. Because he knows intimacy with Jesus. Those who come with a pure heart, God will fill them with the glory of God. And the devil will be in trouble. Number two, he is pleased with faith. On the next page, there's a story of the, the centurion. And I read this story a while back, and this is what spurred this entire message on. Because there's a story of this Roman centurion. He's not, even, he's not a Jew. He's not a disciple of the Lord. All he knows is that he heard that there's this miracle worker. And so he comes to Jesus, and he, he says, I have this servant who is paralyzed. He's tormented. Will you heal him? And Jesus says, yeah, should I come to your house? And he says, no. Lord, I, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man of authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes. And this one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And he said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found Anyone in Israel was such great faith. Man, I would love my faith to amaze him. Man, when everything is dark and it's so difficult to do, to, 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 to see and do the things that he's asked me to do, that we instead live by faith and not by sight. That we say, my God is able In the Gospels, there's this consistent delineation between those that believe in Jesus and those that don't. Those that do see and experience Jesus like no one else. And those that don't stay in their current prison of cynicism, pride, and a critical heart. 
But faith is when Jesus becomes real and then it's our response to that reality. And it comes from a pure and earnest pursuit of Jesus. Hebrews chapter four, I believe it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But he desires that we would walk in faith and not by sight and live by faith. That it's not this place that we just enter into every once in a while, but we live in the reality of Jesus. So when disease comes, when difficulty comes, when financial difficulties come, our instinct is is to believe God in faith for provision, healing, rather than thinking about all the what ifs that might come and calling all our friends and telling them how terrible everything is. But instead, come to the Lord with a heart of faith that says, Lord, you are able to do more than we could ask or think. Lord, you are the healer. There is no one like you. You are the good father who provides for his children. You will not leave me. You will not forsake me. And it's not just the stirring up of myself or, or, or like the just believing harder. It's the reality that comes from knowing Jesus and walking with him. In Psalm 91, there, there's all these promises of the children of God, but it says those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High. Not those who visit. Those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High will experience the shadow of the Most High. And when the shadow of God is on your life, you know that he's near. He's there. I can feel his shadow. I can feel his presence. He's right here. He's not far away from me. When we were pregnant, my wife and I with our second dean, um, you know, we pray over, we prayed over every single pregnancy, very specific prayers. Lord, we pray that, that, that Kayla would carry this baby to full term. We pray that we would have this baby at the hospital. <laughs> things like that. Those are important uh, specifics. But we prayed those things and believed God for them. Well, when, when Dean was in the womb, uh, we went to the doctor, and the doctor said, there's some complications, and it turns out we're going to have to do a C-section. Now, there's nothing wrong with getting a C-section, uh, um, but we believe in God. We're going to deliver this baby naturally in the hospital. So they said, okay, we're going to have to schedule a C-section. Otherwise, it could be a serious, serious situation. And so we just kept praying. We said, oh, well, thank you. God bless you. We'll, you know, we'll, we made the date for the C-section, but we're going to keep praying. And we kept praying. And she'd go to the doctor, the same thing. And we kept praying. Every night I lay my, my hand on her belly and I'd just pray, Lord, we're going to deliver this baby naturally in the hospital. Every night. We'd go to the, hospital, we'd go to the doctor and the same report, same report. The week before the scheduled C-section comes, we go to the doctor and the doctor goes, hmm, whatever the complication was has cleared up. And you don't, we don't need to, we can cancel the C-section. Amen. And then she had, she had Dean, and she uh, experienced something the doctors had no idea what it was, but she got these sores all over her whole body, from head to toe, the bottoms of her feet, the palms of her hands, everywhere. It was painful, it was, there was nothing that would, that, would, um, that would help. And what do you do? The doctors have no idea what's going on. What do we do? We live by faith and not by sight. We say, I know a God who heals. And so we prayed, we prayed. Some women came over to the house and they anointed her with oil. They said, we're gonna pray three times. And every time I want you to go into the bathroom, I want you to check yourself. She prayed three times. Uh, they prayed three times, we, we prayed three times, anointed her with oil, nothing happened. 
An hour after they left, we were getting ready to go. Her feet were so swollen that she, the only shoes she could wear were my, my flip-flops. And she went, went to go put her shoes on, and she looked down, and she screamed. <laughs> An hour later, she screamed because all, and then she looked at her body. All the swelling left, and all of these sores all of a sudden were now healed. Like, not healing, or healed, but like healing, like they started the healing process. And there's not a scar on her body from those. The Lord healed it miraculously. Listen, we have opportunities every single day to be people of faith who walk in the reality of the Most High, who walk in the reality of King Jesus, that will say, I will not let the the world dictate this life that I'm going to live, but I'm going to walk in the shadow of the Most High, the shelter of the Most High, and your life will be pleasing to Him. The third is this, a sacrifice of worship. You can turn to Luke Chapter 7, if you want, otherwise it'll, some of it will be on the screen. This is a story of a sinful woman who comes and anoints Jesus. Now, this is a different story from Mary of Bethany anointing Jesus with oil. But it's a beautiful sacrifice of worship. In verse 36, it says, When one of the Pharisees, Simon, invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went, um, he went, to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So he came there with an alabaster jar of perfume and she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. Now, all that were there were just very offended by this because this was a sinful woman. She was a prostitute. She was now taking this oil, this perfume that was once used for perverse acts, now anointing this king, weeping with the heart of repentance and purity. And in verse 44, Jesus turned towards the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Listen, I came to your house and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. A sacrifice of worship is a pure offering of worship that's glorifying and honoring to Jesus despite your circumstances, your failings, or your state of being. It's a place of personal choice and personal declaration of Jesus' lordship. Our own God-given will is the most valuable sacrifice of worship. Free will is given, and he will not violate it. You know, if we had to wait before we were all cleaned up to come to Jesus, none of us would ever, we'd ever, no, we could never come. But over and over in these Gospels, we see people who declare, Lord, I'm not worthy to be with you, but here I am, I just want you. And with that heart and that attitude, Jesus says, 
Here, I'll give you what you ask. But there's this, this place where we can come to a sacrifice, offering the Lord a sacrifice of worship, something that's costly. Not just a song, but there is something powerful about singing, and there's something about powerful about corporate singing. We've been talking a lot about that lately. There's something that, that happens when we come before the Lord and say, I don't, even though I don't feel like it, even though I had a very discouraging week, even though I feel weary, even though I didn't, my prayers didn't get answered the way that I want to, I'm going to come and I'm going to declare your lordship, Jesus. I'm going to offer my life as a living sacrifice that's pure and holy before you. I'm going to come and declare that I will have no one else but you, Jesus. And I believe we experience a blessing and a reward from the pleasure of God that is like nothing else. When we come, when the whole world is screaming, this is so stupid, and yet we still choose him. C.S. Lewis said, be not deceived. Satan's cause is never more in jeopardy than when a human, no longer, no longer desiring but still intending to do God's will, looks around upon a universe in which every trace of God seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and yet still obeys. The enemy is in trouble when there's a worshiping people that said, no matter what is happening in my life, I choose you, Jesus. I choose you, Jesus. And I'm going to sing whether I feel like it or not. And I'm going to sing whether it makes sense or not. Because it speaks of a God who is otherworldly, who's trying to open our eyes to what he's doing in his ways and his world, rather than us trying to fit him in our little world. In John 4, Jesus said there, there, there's coming a day when true worshipers will, wor will worship in spirit and truth. That's what we experienced this morning. What does the spirit do? Well, the spirit helps us to pray. And just like he helps us to pray, he helps us in worship. We experience that. There's certain seasons where we're like, okay, Lord, this season is a season where our worship is going to look like a lot of gratitude and a lot of thanks, like this morning. And the Lord knows that's what we need. Because if we want to worship in spirit and truth, then the spirit is the one, John 14 says, that leads us into truth. And what does the truth do? The truth sets us free. We come with a sacrifice of worship and the Holy Spirit leads us into greater intimacy with Jesus, which transforms us into the image of our creator. To worship in spirit and truth, is, that's why we believe in spirit-led worship. That means the songs that we're singing that are on the screen are about even those times where there's no words on the screen, where we're just worshiping. And we say, Lord, lead us. And the Spirit leads us into the truth. And the truth sets us free. Amen? God knows what you need better than you do. So when we go before him, we sometimes will think, man, I really need this from him. Lord, I really just need to feel your presence. I need those goosebumps right now. And he might say, no, that's not what you need. You need to sing a song whether you feel like it or not right now. I want you to know who I am. I want you to learn my ways. 
So when we come with a sacrifice of worship, the Lord desires to bring us into greater intimacy than we've experienced before. Have you ever experienced that before where you've come and do worship and you felt like, man, I don't, I just don't, I'm not feeling it today. They're not singing my song. <laughs> right? Or you've had a hard week and you just don't feel like it. Have you ever had those moments or even at home where you've gone into, your, into the prayer closet and, and sought the Lord where it just weren't, you weren't feeling it that day, but you continued on, you persistent despite what you felt and and experience God like maybe you've never experienced him before. I've had so many encounters with God in that way, where I pushed through the flesh. They used to say back in the, the old days, you pray until you pray. You worship until you worship, until you feel your heart connecting with the one. Otherwise, the fire dies. Yesterday, I was at a wedding, and there's something about being at a wedding, you see the bride and the groom looking at each other's eyes and you see that, heart, that fire burning. And you know, that type of fire, I know is not sustainable, but, but, but a lot of times we, we use that as like complacency comes in. It's like, well, that was just me being young, young and stupid. No, the fire should actually burn deeper and brighter as you grow in relationship with one another. It shouldn't die out and just be like, well, that was just silly puppy love. But instead it grows and you foster it. But what happens in a marriage When the fire dies, you stop pursuing one another. You stop preferring the other above yourself. You stop spending time, maybe you spend more shoulder to shoulder time rather than face to face time. The intimacy is gone. The same is with our walk with the Lord where we just start going through the motions. He becomes just an addition to our life rather than the one in whom our whole life is centered. So we come with a sacrifice of worship before him, something that is pleasing. The fourth is this, faithfulness. The Lord is pleased with faithfulness. This could be meant in several ways. Faithfulness to him only. He talks a lot about that. The prophets talk a lot about God's people being unfaithful to him. But it also could mean like faithfulness as in stewardship or faithfulness to the call in your life. You're faithful with the things that God has given. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, Paul, this is his last, Paul's last words that we have recorded. His last letter, he's in prison, writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. And he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but those who have, who have loved his appearing. Imagine that Paul is in prison. He's saying those words. He's thinking back of all the crazy experiences that he's had, good and bad. He's looking at his body which has been beaten and scarred. And he's saying, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I'm going to be rewarded when I see Jesus. He's going to see me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Man, I, just, I have so much respect 
for those who've walked with the Lord for a long time. Many of you in this room, you're mighty oaks in the kingdom. Because it's not easy to walk with the Lord for that long, to stay faithful to the things that he has called you to be faithful to. There's a parable that Jesus tells, a parable of the talents, which I'm sure uh, maybe you're familiar with. There's three servants that are given different amounts of money, some a little, some more, and then the most. But they're all required to do the same thing, do something with this money that you're given. The two that are given more, they, they, they go and they, they uh, multiply what they're given. They're faithful stewards with it. And with that, then Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. But the third Maybe he was comparing himself to everybody else. Maybe he didn't really believe who he was in the kingdom. But he took it in and buried it. And Jesus says, you wicked servant. You see, the Lord's not impressed with our gifts. Because he gave them to us. He's not impressed with your resources. He gave them to you. He's not impressed with all these different things that we are all impressed by. He's not impressed by them. But he's impressed by what we do with them. Did you steward it well? Whether it's a little or a lot. God's not comparing you to the person next to you. He's only, he's only saying, this is what I've given you. What will you do with it? And I say, I just don't want to waste my life. I was talking to Kyle this morning it's like, man, I just blinked and May was gone. Doesn't life go fast? It goes so fast. And we all say it, life goes so fast. And yet sometimes we live so unintentionally. And we just let the days go by. We let the days go by. We let the days go by. And then years have passed and we look back and we say, I have nothing. I have nothing in which to, to say this is what I did with my time. Again, this is not a message of condemnation but one rather that would spur you on to believe that God could do something with your life, that you could live a life worthy of what he's called to do and that is pleasing to him. Uh, Pastor Scott, you can come. I want to be impressed by what he's impressed by. Again, he's not impressed, and he's not impressed by, by our titles. You know, he doesn't call me Pastor Tony when I go to prayer, you know that? <laughs> He just calls me by my name. He says, son, when we come just empty-handed before him, just say, Jesus, I just want you. It's not to think like self-depreciating or anything like that. It's not like that. But with humility in our hearts and say, Lord, without you, I am nothing and I can do nothing. I want to live a life that's pleasing to you. We grew up in Fargo, North Dakota, and in our church growing up, there was a, one of our ushers, his name was Orville. And uh, he was one of those people that I, you know, as a kid, I thought, man, he's just always been old. Because my whole life, he'd always just been old. So I was 
Denzel comes and Orville would park in the way back corner and he'd shuffle across the parking lot. And we'd tell him, Orville, you can park closer. It's all right, you can park closer. You've earned it. And he said, no, 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 I want to park back there. I want, I want everybody else to have the best, the best, the closest spots. I can park back there. Well, Orville passed on.
verse 23, it says, Now while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew people. He did not need the testimony of any man, for he knew what was in each person. Oh, that we might be a people with a pure heart before him, that would come sacrifice of worship, that we would be a people full of faith, that we would serve faithfully with the things that we've been entrusted with. So God would give us more. been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.